Right, thank you. I'm going to start with a prayer as well. Um, So if it's okay, I'm just going to pray before I speak. Father God, I thank you that I can do nothing without you. And I pray that you will use the words that I believe you've given me this morning to bring life and light to me and to those gathered here, that we may grow into the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start by reading. Um, You may want your Bibles. I notice there are lots of Bibles around. Um, I'm going to warn you, by the way, that I have something called labyrinthitis. So at the moment, you all look a bit wobbly. Um, so if I, if I hold on to the lectern, <laughs> it's because everything feels like I'm on a boat at the moment. Um, and uh, Louise has promised me that if I start looking like I'm going to tip over, she's going to come and rescue me. Um, so we're going to read from Acts 4, verse 23, the believers pray. And in your church Bibles, if you haven't got your own Bibles, it's uh, 1096. I can't tell you if you've got your own Bibles what that is, but it's Acts 4, and we're going from verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate meet together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal And perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's what I want to speak on today. I want to speak on how we pray when there is opposition. Now, I want to set this passage in some sort of context. And the context in which this comes, this prayer of the believers together, is in Jerusalem. And it's very, very early days in the early church. Up until recently, we've seen a frightened group of followers of Jesus huddled together in a locked room. Fearful of arrest, wondering what's going to happen. And yet at Pentecost, 
they are overwhelmed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter and his companions go out filled with boldness and begin to preach. And when he preaches his sermon in Acts chapter 22, where we have a record of that sermon, he sees thousands of people converted. And just prior to this passage, Peter and John have been to the temple. They've been there to pray where they go every day. And when they reach the gates, they see a beggar who's been lame from birth. And they'd probably met him there on several occasions before. But on this particular occasion, God inspires Peter to stop and to speak to the man and to heal him in the name of Jesus. Now, this man is not about to stay quiet. You imagine being healed from a lifelong disability, a life where you rely completely on other people. If other people don't carry you around, you don't move. You probably spend days on end immobile. Some of you will know what that feels like. In those days, there was no way for him to earn a living. There was no NHS, no job seekers allowance, no money. And now God has healed him. He's leaping about, testing out these newfound legs, praising God at the top of his voice. And people see this. And Peter again uses this as a wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And it tells us in Acts that 5,000 people are converted. The church is growing. God is doing amazing things. When we had that open time of prayer, it was wonderful to hear people praying for that, praying for God's healing, praying for God's Holy Spirit to come down. That's what we want, don't we? And it must have been a wonderful time of encouragement for that early church. They must have been on a spiritual high. What happens next? Opposition. They're arrested by the Jewish authorities and they are thrown into prison. Now, I've never been in prison. You'll be thrilled to know. Um, I've been to visit prisons. I've not been in prison. Um, None of us, I think, particularly want to go to prison, but you imagine what it must have been like in a first century prison. Very different to the prisons today. They were usually underground, no lighting, they were very dark, no toilet facilities, very smelly, horrible places to be. You didn't get fed unless someone came and brought you some food. I wonder how Peter and John are feeling at this point. I wonder how you'd be feeling. You've been on that spiritual high. Someone had been healed through your word. Thousands converted. And you find yourself in this dark, smelly place. I wonder how you feel when you feel opposition. Do you feel opposition? I challenge us, if we don't ever feel opposed, 
then are we really standing out for our faith? Are we really standing out as Christians? Because actually Satan's not going to bother with us if we're not a threat. Why oppose somebody who's ineffectual in their faith? So actually, if you are feeling opposition, whether that's external or internal, then praise God. Satan's worried about you. You're a threat to him and what he wants to do. Now, you may never have been thrown in jail for your faith. But I wonder if you've been snubbed by people. I wonder if you've been belittled. Maybe you've even been verbally attacked by people because of your Christian faith. Perhaps you've been excluded from friendship groups or by work colleagues because of what you stand for. And let's be honest, in an inclusive society, sometimes there doesn't seem to be much room for those of us that profess a faith in God. Sometimes that opposition is not external, but internal. It's a voice of condemnation inside, telling you that you've got no right to call yourself a Christian. Telling you perhaps that God can't possibly forgive you. That God doesn't answer your prayers. That you are somehow that one person beyond God's love and forgiveness. So how do we deal with that opposition, whether it be external or internal? Well, I think Peter and John give us a bit of a steer on that. They give us an idea. What do Peter and John do? Well, they do get released from prison, praise God. And the next day they return to their friends. But there are still threats from the Jewish Sanhedrin ringing in their ears. They've been told, yes, they can go, because actually they've got no grounds on which to hold them in prison. But don't go preaching about that Jesus fellow anymore. What's the first thing they do? They pray. In verse 24, it says, they raise their voices together in prayer to God. Now, that word together... Is really important. In the original Greek, the word is homothumadon. Homothumadon. The homo bit is the, the same. And the thum bit, the root of that, is with the same desire, with the same will. So it's not just about being together. It's about having the same will, the same desire. So when we pray together... As a body of Christ, we come together with that same desire for God to move. Do they complain to God about their treatment? Do they ask for protection from that nasty Sanhedrin? No, they don't. What they do, first and foremost, is they praise God. They do what we've been doing this morning. They take their eyes off the situation and the issue and they fix them on God. That's why we start with praise. It's why we start our services with praise. To take our eyes off us and place them firmly on God. 
Verse 24 says this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They look up. They look at God's greatness. They remind themselves of what an amazing God they have. And that is what praise is. The Lord's prayer begins with our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. It begins with praise. And so often when we pray, we come to God with a shopping list. And I'm as guilty as anybody of that, although I'm trying to learn that I need to begin my prayers by keeping my eyes on God, not on the issues. Over the last few months, I've just said I'm studying to... um, be a Church of England minister, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of writing involved, um, and trying to sort of balance that with working and family life is sometimes a little overwhelming. And last term, I had so many assignments to write, I was marking exams, I was doing all sorts of things, and I was beginning to feel really swamped by how much I had to do. And I was getting stressed, and I thought, this is not what God wants. So I started praising, I started praying, I started thanking him that he was in control. Did the situation change? No, it didn't change. Did I change? Yeah, I changed. And sometimes when you're feeling everything's too much, whether that be physical illness whether that be family situations, work situations, whatever it is, we want God to take the pressure off, don't we? We want him to take it away. Life would be so much easier if God just took the problem away. And I have to tell you, and I'm sorry to tell you in some ways, that very often God doesn't. Because God's much more interested in what's going on in here. God is building you into the person that you always intended to be. And God often uses those hard, difficult situations. He doesn't create them. That's not God's will. God doesn't will bad stuff for you. That's not God's. But God uses those situations you find yourself in. Even with this horrible labyrinthitis, which makes me feel really dizzy most of the time, I'm praising God for it because actually it's made me slow down. I'm not very good at slowing down. I like rushing around doing things. It's made me slow down. It's made me have loads of time to spend with him. So actually looking at God... Getting a perspective, getting God's perspective on a situation is the primary thing. That's the first thing to do. So praise, directing our eyes to God. What else can we learn from Peter and John and how they respond to this situation? Well, I've already mentioned this, this homothumidon thing, this having the same heart. They don't pray on their own. Verse 23 says they went to their friends. And part of why we come together on a Sunday 
is because God doesn't call you to be a Christian on your own. He calls you to be part of a body. I have a lovely church in Shirley and I'm part of a cell group. And that my cell group are brilliant at praying for me. Hopefully I'm brilliant at praying for them. I don't feel I'm as brilliant, but they're brilliant. You know, I can text them if we're not meeting together. And we text one another with prayer requests. And I I can really sense their prayers. Sometimes when I'm feeling really under pressure, I can really feel almost like a physical sense of being prayed for and upheld. Because sometimes in your Christian life, you will find that it's really tough to pray on your own. You might already be feeling, I find it really hard to pray on my own. That's okay. It's good to pray on our own too. It's good to build our relationship with God. But you know what? God has put people alongside you for a purpose. There's a wonderful story that you don't have to turn to, but if you want to, please feel free. In Exodus chapter 17, I'm going to look at it. I will read it to you. Uh, It's Exodus 17. If you want to turn to it, maybe keep one hand in the other passage. It's on page 75. And I'm going to read from verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Here, the opposition is very real. It's the Amalekites who are attacking the Israelites. Moses goes on to the mountain to raise his arms in prayer. And when he's too weary to keep his arms up, Aaron and her help him. And it's a wonderful picture for us of when we are under opposition. Don't try to face that on your own. It's not what God wants. If you don't already have people that you regularly pray with, then can I encourage you to find people? It's really vital. If Peter and John, these great lions of God needed people to get alongside them and pray with them. How much more do I need people to get alongside me? So we've had praise, looking to God. We've had prayer support. Can I get a third P in? (laughs) Can I have a P, Bob? I don't know how old you are. 
blockbusters now. Some of the younger people are looking at me going, what's she talking about? Yes, I think I can. Proclaiming. In verses 25 to 26, they proclaim God's word. They quote scripture. Here it's from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Why do they do that? Why quote scripture? I think someone was quoting from Psalms. I can't remember. I think it was Psalm 5 during those open prayers. Why do we, why do we tell God? Why do we speak scripture to God? Is that because he's forgotten? No, it's not for God's benefit, is it? It's for our benefit. It's to remind us of God's truths. When we're praying, particularly when we're praying against opposition, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. Just like Joshua was involved in warfare, the warfare that we are involved with is no less real, is no less difficult. And Ephesians 6 reminds us of that, doesn't it? In Ephesians 6, I'm not going to read that to you, but feel free to read it another time. Tells us that we are in a battle as Christians. And that as Christian soldiers, we need to arm ourselves. We need to put on the armor of God. And it's a wonderful passage to meditate on, particularly if you are feeling really under stress and under pressure. But here I just want to look at one element of that armor. And it's the belt of truth. Paul tells us to put on the belt of truth. Now you may think, hang on a minute, a belt? That's not part of armor, is it? Remember that being a vital part of my weaponry. And you might not think it is, but actually uh, we're talking about Roman soldiers. That's, that's the picture that Paul has when he talks about it, because they were surrounded, of course, by the Roman army where they lived. So he's picturing a Roman soldier when he talks about this. And actually for a Roman soldier, that belt was a vital piece of his equipment. It kept the rest of his armor, his breastplate and everything else he was wearing in place. And it's where he hung his weapons. So his short dagger, his sword were all in place. It kept everything secure. And that's true for us as well. We need to hold on to God's truths in his word. If we are to pray effectively. And what I tend to do is I tend to both start my prayers with uh, praise, but also I will read a passage of scripture and I can encourage you. That's a really positive way to pray because it focuses again, not on your situation, but on God and his truths and his promises. Finally, We turn to verse 29. We're back in Acts, by the way, if you're still in Exodus. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Finally, we get to the request. We get to their specific request. Notice they don't say, get rid of those horrible, nasty people, Herod and Pontius Pilate. They know that that is not going to happen. What they ask for is God to be free to speak through them and to bring healing. It's the very things that you were praying this morning. They ask specifically and they ask with confidence, with boldness, because they know that as they pray together and they hear God's will, God is going to answer. And indeed he does in verse 31. The place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with boldness. Is God going to take away the opposition? Is God going to take away your stress and your difficult situation? Sometimes yes. But a lot of the time, no. But regardless of that, God can use, he doesn't send difficult things. It's very clear in his word. God doesn't send those bad things, but he uses them for our benefit. So when we pray, let's not try and twist God's arm and say, please get me out of this nasty situation. Sometimes he does. And he knows how much you can cope with. He's not going to test you. He's not going to put you in a position where you won't be able to cope. And remember, you're not coping on your own. You have a body around you to support you. You have an amazing God who loves you and wants the best for you. So making time to praise, praying with others. And proclaiming God's truth in scripture. And I believe that as we do that individually as and as a body, we are going to see God moving powerfully by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your promises to us. That you will always be with us. That you will never leave nor forsake us. And that you always work together for the good of those who love you. I pray that whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether that be struggling with grief, with physical illness or disability, whether it be job situation or family. Lord God, may we know your presence. May we know you at work amongst us. And may we see your power. In Jesus' name, amen.